One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three calls. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to episode four of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber, and I'm joined once again by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. Um, on this episode, it's been a while since we recorded, um, and we're going to talk about what this potential short season of Major League Baseball will mean to Audenew from a general sense and Audenew from a sort of league-specific strategy sense. So. Um, why don't I start things off by asking Niv to discuss sort of how this short season is going to affect um, Audenew in, in, in general and what changes there might be this year because we're having a short season. Sounds great, man. Uh, good to hear from you, Justin. Uh, this season is still pretty in flux. We don't have a great idea of when we're going to start and how long it's going to go. Uh, but we are pretty hopeful, I think, collectively, that there will be baseball this year. I think there's reason to be optimistic, even though this past week was a little volatile um, on the news front. But I remain optimistic that there will be baseball this season, and I am sort of hoping for an early-ish July start. I think that's pretty pretty clear that that's what Major League Baseball is gunning for and what they'd really like to do from an optics perspective and everything. And right now, I think like we're looking at probably a early to mid-October end. And that's, that's still a pretty decent chunk of baseball. Like uh, A lot of games will get played, and you know, we'll get into those details uh, as we get going. But from an auto-new perspective, I don't think we're going to make too many rule changes. This is obviously an unprecedented season. And as a result, we don't want to change the platform significantly and change how you guys play the game significantly to accommodate uh, what seems to be, well, what hopefully is an extreme one-off, right? Something that we don't ever have to deal with again. Um, You know, a little knock on wood when I say that. So I don't think there will be a change to how salary or arbitration is handled in the offseason after 2020. Um, I think we'll still see the same salary increases for uh, major league players and players who don't play in the major leagues. I think we'll see... uh, the same arbitration that we had before. And of course, if specific leagues want to handle uh, arbitration differently, uh, they have the tools and the ability to just ignore arbitration, do whatever they want to. But from a platform standpoint, I think we're going to allow arbitration. We're going to have the same salary increases and everything like that. Um, In season, I think the main change or the main things to note uh, are the trade deadline and player eligibility. Um, I don't expect there to be any changes to position player eligibility, but we're going to have to track that and see how players are utilized in a short season and what the games look like, how many doubleheaders are, um, etc. We might see some pretty interesting player uh, eligibility going into 2021 as a result of that, but you know, it, it is what it is. And then from the trade deadline perspective, like our trade deadline is uh, 8:31 August 31st. Uh, generally, 
And I don't see any reason to change that unless Major League Baseball makes the decision to play well into October and maybe November. If the regular season goes much further out than it normally does, uh, I don't think you want the trade deadline to be sitting at uh, a third of the way, half way through a season. You want it to really let teams make decisions closer to um, you know the final push. So we might have to shift the trade deadline back a little bit, um, but that's really contingent on what the final uh, and Major League Baseball season looks like once it's finally released and an agreement is finally made. Um, so we'll be fluid with that. We'll be really flexible. We're looking for feedback, as always. So you can go to the forums and leave me your thoughts. There's a few threads going about that stuff, and I'm always interested in hearing it. And I think the community at large uh, really benefits from those conversations. So feel free to share your thoughts on that stuff. And then, you know, with all that being said, with like trying to keep Auto New pretty st stable uh, compared to how 2019 played and how we hope 2021 will play, um, I'm going to throw it over to Justin and Chad. Like, what are you guys' thoughts about how you want to approach what's looking like maybe a half-length season with um, with a lot more players uh, in the player in the Major League ba Baseball like player pool, like expanded rosters, um, and maybe a universal DH. Like, what are you guys like looking for from a high high level about how to play this season? Yeah, I think you know the the biggest question I think from a high level is uh is that shortened season question like I mean, there's who knows what the season's gonna look like right i mean i don't know if you yeah. guys saw there was that uh that bryce harper instagram post or whatever that's going around today that he posted out his plan for a 135 game season yeah right i don't really know how he squeezed 135 <laughs> games in um and harper certainly strikes me as among the players the kind of guy who would be like screw it i want out on the field right now like, I want to get yeah. out there and play as much as possible. And so he may not have the support of the full MLBPA <laughs> behind him. Um, but uh, if we get 135 games, like, that's pretty close to a regular season in terms of length, at least in terms of how I would think about it. If we get, like, 80 games, you get into this question of the volatility going on that's just going to be so different from what we've been used to before. And, and teams that... Like, when I think about fantasy teams, um, although I think it's going to be true for MLB teams, too, teams that are borderline contenders and aren't really sure they're ready yet, all of a sudden you get one guy who gets hot, one pitcher who has, you know, four or five good starts in a row, well, that's half the season, right? It's a complete game changer versus yeah. where you are at 162 games. Um, and so I, I think for me in general, the biggest thing is if we get a short season, it's like you've got to be aggressive early. You don't have time to wait. And that has to do with both, like, all right, you are more likely to compete than you thought you were because everything is more volatile. If your if team your is team really, really good, good, you are you less, are less likely, likely to win than you thought you were because everything is more volatile. And so you've got to act fast to, to buy whatever you're going to do. Um, but then you also need to make your decision because the trade deadline, even if you even if you push it back, Niv, right, which I, which I think makes sense. Um, if we assume the season goes through, let's say, October 15th, and so the trade deadline gets moved to September 15th or something like that, you're still maybe only going to have six, eight weeks to make decisions, right? And you're going to have the trade deadline coming up as soon as, you know, what would typically be the end of May. So you're going to have to act real fast. Sorry, there's a big difference there between percentage of games played and... Um, and in like actual days, right? So you're still looking at like eight weeks, right? And right now, if we had an April 1st start somewhere around then, 
you you have double the amount of time to make a choice there to make a decision on buying or selling so so thinking about it like yeah there might be a healthy percentage of games played a healthy number of games played but they're obviously going to be happening on a compressed timeline right yeah totally i think that's exactly right and so you're just you're just going to have to act quickly and make whatever decisions you're going to make quickly. Now, I, I think the other thing, too, that, that I keep thinking about with all this is we're sort of stuck a little bit because I think the overwhelming majority of leagues have already drafted, right? And and those leagues have drafted under the assumption that at the time we drafted, there might be something like a full season. Right. Um, so, you know, and you can't control that anymore, right? Like, you, if you've already drafted and you drafted with those assumptions, you have to move forward and figure out how you're going to adjust with the current roster that you have with some of these changes that we're going to talk about with, that might affect you because it's a it's a, a half season, basically. Um, but I think that, you know, it's important to take a look at your roster and say, okay, well, I, I, I drafted this guy because I assumed he was going to be you know, he's going to be full-time, but now with, with these deeper rosters potentially, is he going to be subbed out more often? Are they going to be, you know, cycling guys in and out more frequently? Well, I mean, what happens if somebody tests positive, right? They're going to they're yeah. effectively immediately go on a, on a 15-day DL, uh, IL, and, you know, we, we don't know some of those ramifications about, but I, I think it's very easy to assume that there's going to be a lot more, um, cycling of players in and out of the lineup guys going to il or the equivalent of the il more frequently than they would in a normal season right um, yeah, i think i think that, that that those larger rosters like one of the things that we've heard i think pretty consistently in the plans that are out there is that you could expect maybe 30-man rosters maybe more a taxi squad that gives people the teams the ability to move guys in and out quicker and so i do i expect more off days i'm just assuming that anybody who i previously thought was going to play 150 160 games um is not going to get a prorated portion of that. They're going to get less than that, um, right? Because I think there's just going to be there's going to be more double headers. And there's going to be more um, fewer off days, and guys are going to need to rest. Um, I, I think you know, Justin. My big question for you, as the the surplus calculator guru and the man who does all the valuations around here, is how much does it change the valuation of individual players when all of a sudden, like you said, I've already done my auction, so I can't really do a whole lot, anyways. But yeah. like, if I, I have one league that is just getting started up, and we may do an auction in the next couple of weeks, something like that, depending on what the timeline on this thing is, how much should I be? How differently should I be thinking about values? I, I'll be honest, there, you know, like like everything else we're talking about today, there's a ton of uncertainty in answering that question. I think my my gut, and I haven't gone through and and attempted to do like a half season projected surplus calculator dollar value process yet. But my gut says we would see some pretty significant differences, right? Like, I, I might have Mitch Hanniger in a league that I bought at a discount because I was comfortable with him being out for maybe the first month or two of the season. Well, now that first month or two of the season, the season hadn't even started yet. Is he going to be back for whatever this full season would be? His value is going to be changed significantly to what it was before. Um, similar to some of these pitchers, like... And I, and I keep thinking about these these young pitchers, the like a Mackenzie Gore or something like that, where they may not have really been pushed necessarily at, at a certain point this season, or, or maybe it would have happened in September um, or mid-season after Super 2 deadline. But now, with deeper rosters and with more need to cycle guys in and out, it's entirely possible that some of these teams say, well, these young prospect pitchers that we have, 
maybe we get their feet wet and we give them, they're not going to get 120 innings. They're not going to get the equivalent of 120 innings in a half season, but they're going to be somebody we need just because depth is going to be an issue. And pitching especially is one of those areas that we know, you know, that that's where attrition happens so, so greatly that these teams are going to need to find arms somewhere. Um, And I think going back to the volatility point we were making before, we were talking about it in an odd or new perspective, but like the Padres and Gore are a perfect example of this. We're like, if you think about a 162 game season, how likely were the Padres to win their division or even make the playoffs? Not really that likely. But if, if this goes down to like an 80 or 100 game season, it's much easier to imagine a world where, you know, Hosmer gets hot and, and starts putting the ball in play a little better. And, uh, they call up Gore and he gives them 10 solid starts and he's not maybe ready for a full season, but in a partial season, he can have a much bigger impact than he otherwise would. Like, does a team like the Padres get way more aggressive because the Dodgers aren't as scary in a shorter season? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and so I do think that, and then you get to, you, you layer on those larger rosters and it's like, okay, well I could put Gore on the roster, on my major league roster. I could have him pitch, I could go with a six-man rotation because I've got the depth to do it, or I could go with a, a normal five-man rotation, but my fifth starter is going to alternate, and Gore is going to pitch every 10 days, and someone else is going to pitch every 10 days because I'm easing them along or something like that. Like You have so many options to play with, and because we've never seen this before, I don't think we can begin to guess what they're going to do. Right, and, and given that, I think answering the question of how does that change like the valuation that each auto new owner is going to have about, about the players in the league, it's going to be so difficult to pin that down. And some of it, we're not going to know until we see what these teams are actually going to do. Right. We, we can speculate about this strategy would make sense if, if deeper rosters and, and more off days or more double headers uh, or fewer off days or more de- double headers. If those things are, are true, we can speculate about what we expect the teams to do, but we won't know until they're actually out there and they're adjusting the things on the fly, right? Like, cause we don't know what's going to happen if there's, if there's an outbreak and a team has 10 players that they need to quarantine, you know, and we don't know some of those things. And, and we can't really, we can't really plan for those because we don't know those are unknowns, but I think in general, I, 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 play Audenew so much from a dollar value, um, you know, paying the right price for players. I play that from so much of that perspective. All that's basically out the window right now. Like I'm saying that as someone who adheres to these things (laughs) and and that's my focus, right? Like that's the lens through through which I play Audenew is getting value and trying to be as precise as I can be with what I think those dollar values should be. It, I I honestly am like at the point where I'm just going to, I'm just going to wing it. You know, this is what this has turned me into is, is the antithesis of what I would normally be. Um, but I think you have to, <laughs> I think you have to think about things in more of a structural sense, right? Rather than a, uh, um, a, a dollar value or a, a, you know, points over replacement value. If we're talking about a points league, I, I think w- you have to think about it less in those terms and more of structurally, if all these things that we're talking about are going to happen, what kinds of players might I want to target now if I have the ability to pick them up in free agency because I've already drafted, or in the case of the, the league that Chad mentioned that we're about to draft, what kind of players might I want to pick up in a season like this that I wouldn't have otherwise really expended you know more than a dollar for, but maybe now they're worth three or four dollars. You know these guys like like Kevin Cron in, in Arizona, if they're if they're doing DH Universal this year, there's going to be a lot of these defensively challenged first base corner outfield types that. 
maybe would have only gotten 150 at bats before, but now they might play the equivalent of of half half time, you know, or three quarters time because they can be in the lineup much more often. Um, and and I think you know it's it's going to change so much about what types of players are going to be valuable this year. Well, and I think we're we're going to talk more about the universal universal DH in a little bit because I think that's a really important one. But I, I think one of the things in this sort of more general roster construction piece that definitely jumps out at me is. Uh, with teams having deeper benches and fewer off days, I'm expecting them to uh, use their subs more often, which means that as an auto new owner, I think I have to have a much deeper bench than I'm used to having, right? I've always had in auto new a sense that like I can, I can waste, it's the wrong word, but I can waste a certain number of roster spots on minor league guys who have no chance of contributing on injured guys who aren't going anywhere on flyers who I expect to get no value from, but maybe there's some upside there. All of a sudden, it gets much harder to carry those guys because I think I'm going to need to be able to flip my lineup much more aggressively day-to-day than I normally would because I think that I'm going to have more off days from my starters. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, I think I think what will happen is, my, my expectation is um, replacement level is going to get lower. There's going to be more guys who are ownable because they're going to be on rosters and they're going to get used. Kevin Cron's an example of that, but there, there's others as well. Um, and so replacement level is going to get lower across the board, which is going to create a bunch more guys who are worth owning. It's also going to spread out, in theory, the dollars more than they would normally be spread out, which should make the top guys less expensive relatively because there's more guys to spend on. Um but I also think you are going to get a bunch of those guys who like used to be $1, but now we're above replacement level instead of at replacement level. And, and I'm starting to think, like, how much does this shift my value of a prospect who's in A ball who I just don't think is going to be up this year? Um, does, do, I just, do I just avoid those guys and instead roster someone who might start 30% of games instead of 5% of games? Um, because I just I need to make sure I fill out those games played. Let me jump in real quick here. Chad, you bring up a great point, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Games played will obviously have to change this season, and uh, there will be a games cap that will be prorated for however long the season goes. So right now, we try to hit the equivalent of 162 um, games at each position, and obviously for outfielders, uh, 810, so that's 5 times 162. And then we have that 1,500 inning cap. And both those things will have to be reduced down based on however long the season ends up being. So uh, you won't be able to just mass stream. You'll still have to be a little bit thoughtful about that stuff. But you're absolutely right that um, each individual player will be playing less of a percentage of the season, right? Uh, Because they're just going to have more depth at every position. So when you're looking at trying to hit those game caps, I I think you're still going to need to expand uh, a usable bench if you're trying to compete this year, right? Like, I think that's that's sort of a place where you might be able to conversely find value in prospects uh, if you're if you're planning for 2021 or 2022. Uh, I, to, to follow up on, on what Chad was saying real quick, specifically about the prospect thing is, I, I'm, in general, in a normal season, I'm already less likely to own those far away prospects, those, you know, a ball type guys that have helium, but it's going to take two or three years for them to show up. Um, if I'm drafting from scratch 
right now for for an, a half auto new season, I'm even more likely to completely avoid those players. I would be focusing only on players that are on a 40-man roster because those are the players that are most likely to actually see the field this year, right? Because the other assumption here is even if there is a major league baseball season, there's almost certainly not going to be a minor league season. So any of these prospects that aren't on a 40-man roster and aren't have don't have the possibility of seeing the active roster in major league baseball this year, they're not going to see the field. Are they going to, they're losing a developmental year. Um, I mean, how much is simulated games and, and practices and, and, you know, back lot workouts really going to help them? Um, so I would be focusing pretty much, I would look at rosters and look at the 40 man and then focus primarily on those prospects that are already on the 40 man, um, which, which limits you to, to the prospects that are probably more likely than not to be up this year anyway, but I would almost completely ignore anybody who wasn't on a 40-man roster right now. Yeah, I think it's it's maybe less the 40-man specifically and more just guys who, anybody who was in line to like maybe a cup of coffee, maybe up mid-season this year um, or, or earlier, starts to become a guy that, like you said, if there's no minor leagues... Um, what do you do? I mean, like the, the guy that keeps coming to mind for me is with the Indians and Nolan Jones, right? Nolan Jones is probably, if we assume a normal season this year, Nolan Jones was a guy who might get a look mid-season. They don't necessarily have somewhere to play him, and so maybe it would have gotten delayed. But if there's no minor league season, and he's basically ready, especially with the bat, like, do you really give him a full year of no real competition? Or do you say, forget it. I'm putting him on my major league roster, and it might be a stretch, but I don't know what else to do. I can't waste a year with him. Yeah, these baseball teams, they they can't afford – I mean, a lot of them can't afford just giving up a year of development, right? Like, you can't do that. (laughs) Like, there are a lot of players that you don't want to lose that year of development. And if minor league baseball is just logistically impossible – I think you will see a lot of stuff like that where um, you're just going to try to work a guy in, get him work with the club. Like if he's with the big league club, he gets to, you know, do the workouts. He gets to be in the batting cage with professional coaches and everything. And, and that helps. And that might result in him getting a handful of at bats that, that otherwise would have no chance of getting. So he can actually be a bat that you can use in, in auto new this year, which is, which is crazy, but and I wonder, you know, from a from a major league baseball perspective, I wonder the teams that are going to have to make that decision, right? They've got to push somebody off. Like in this case, Nolan Jones is not on the forty man, so if they decide that they can't you lose a year of development, so they're going to get him some time this year. Obviously, someone's getting pushed off the forty. So I wonder if we see a lot more of these That's these fringe point. veteran types that you know they they always hang around at the back end of a roster those guys are going to get pushed out because they're 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 going to get DFA'd to to make way for some of these prospects that aren't on a 40 man right now um it, it's going to be interesting to see and i wonder when you know when teams then start to make those transactions right like once once the the season plan is announced are we going to see a wave of of 40 man roster moves um to account for that and and that's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on if you're not an owner and you own someone like Nolan Jones to say, can I can I carry him? Do I try to move him now? You know, to make make him a trade to somebody else that maybe isn't isn't aware of what the implications might be of, of him losing a year of development potentially if he's not added to the forty man roster. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Is like, what do you do with guys if major league teams aren't aggressive with them? I mean, I I think 
You know, I, I look at one one area where major league teams have been consistently um, I don't know if smart is the right word. They've been sort of people sort of hate it, but the, the the manipulation they've done with service time has always been about the long-term interest of the organization, right? How do we make sure we maximize the value of this player by having them as long as we possibly can? And I think that most teams will recognize that a lost year of development is hugely problematic to the point that playing service time manipulation games is not a good decision, right? Keeping keeping a guy like Jones down for the full year this year and having his development set back like that is not a good trade-off because that value you're going to get right. from him seven years from now is going to be so much lower if you lose that year. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like I could be wrong. They may not think that way, and and it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens. And I think I don't know. I think for myself, I'm I'm making that decision right now. I think that uh, if there's no minor league season, guys who aren't called up, I'm going to be backing off my valuation on any prospect who loses a season is going to plummet. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting because you're uh, you know the consistent theme so far and. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Universal DH, I think it'll come up again, um, is that this season looks like it's going to be really beholden to the way that Major League Baseball front offices operate. So we're going to really, the short season is really going to separate the um, the strategic versus the tactical front offices. And you'll get to see, like, um, really, like, separate the smart ones. Uh, you know, I'm putting that word in quote quotes uh from the dumb ones like we're gonna really see a real difference in strategy because like you guys are saying there's so many different directions to go with all these choices and you know like when we're looking at the cleveland indians they're always looking forward towards controllable assets because they're a smaller market and we're looking at a team like the dodgers that might just say uh no we're gonna just win we're gonna not worry about our player development because we can win a ring this year and we're gonna just go for it you know and we're going to really see a lot of different strategies come out. But I think the thing that's most interesting is that it's going to affect the way that you manage your auto new rosters more than a normal, more than it would in a normal season, right? Like you're going to have, there's obviously teams that are more willing to bring up young players, uh, teams uh, versus teams that are um, more interested in, in having a veteran like uh, roster all the way up and down. And that's true every year. But this year it's really going to, I think, affect what your decisions are with your 30th, 35th guy on your roster in auto new. Um, maybe more so than it does in normal years, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I'm, I'm really curious, like now, now as we're talking about this, I'm wondering like, what are the Dodgers going to do? What are the Rays right. going to do? What are the front offices that I really respect in different ends of the spectrum? What actions are they going to take and how is that going to set the tone for others? Um, it's going to be fascinating. And then, like, what does a chalk organization do? Like, what is an organization that, like, we don't necessarily think of as being the most clever, doesn't get written up as having, like, all the hedge fund analytics guys or whatever? Like, like what does a regular front office do? Like, we, uh, one of the teams we talked about, and I think maybe it's time to just dive into the subject altogether, is the Diamondbacks, right? And, and their universal DA. If a universal DH comes to Arizona, like, do we ever talk about the Diamondbacks as being an intelligent organization. I'm not calling them dumb and I don't really think they are like, but no one ever like talks up the Diamondbacks org. And so there's these two variables, which is like one, you and I and Justin, all three of us can sit here and be like, 
hey, look at all these players on this roster that would really fit into a great rotation between third base, first base, and DH. And then will the are the Diamondbacks interesting in executing the plan that we've come up with in our in our in our living rooms? You know, like is that a plan that they're interested in executing? Is that a thing that that team or or how does that team organize its clubhouse? Like maybe they really want uh, their first baseman and their third baseman to have like roles that they can uh, count on every day, and maybe that reduces their ability to rotate guys around. Like I don't know. Um, but what do you guys think about, like, what other teams are going to, like, be able to, like, we, we have a few teams, I think, listed out that have a universal DH opportunity. And I, which, I mean, like, like the, the obvious one for me as a Cubs fan is obviously Schwarber in left field, right? Like, he's he's probably primarily going to be the DH now. Right. And then and then they can, you know, be flexible in left field, whether that means that they're playing Brian a little bit more in left field and making making room for David Bo in at third base, or, you know, they're, they're mixing in Albert on more and more as a defensive outfielder than they otherwise would. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that's a clear one is, is the Cubs there. I mean, the Reds have so many interesting bats and now the they Reds. have an additional roster spot to play with to, to get a guy in the lineup. So I mean, we were joking about the Reds were building a team as if they were going to the American League next year. Like they, it felt like there were two or three teams this offseason that that made transactions that way, which was very very interesting to see. And now, I mean, there is going to be universal DH, but maybe not in the same way people thought it would have happened. Right? Like this was right. sort of foisted upon everybody just because this is um, what's going to make sense for for the reality of baseball this season. Yeah, I, I sort of thought the Reds and some others were thinking about the the CBA coming up soon and expecting yeah. like players want the universal DH. At some point, the owners are going to give in on that. It seemed extremely likely that that was going to be a negotiating point here. And so, if you're the Reds, you got a shot to sign Cassianos. Sure, why not go for it and see what happens, right? And yeah. the fact that it's happening earlier. Um, yeah, it's a little surprising, but I do think the, I think the Reds are a good example. I think um, the the Mets um, with both Jonas Cespedes and Dominic Smith, um, those are both guys who it's really hard to know where they fit, but uh, have a lot of potential. Smith was was excellent last year. He was a, their third or fourth best hitter, I think, um, and didn't have a spot because he's a terrible outfielder. And he's stuck behind Alonzo now at first base. And what, what are you going to do? But now there's suddenly room for him. Uh, and with Yo, it's just like, who knows what his body can take at this point. Uh, and so having a place to get him in the line, it makes a big difference. Um, I, I think the, the Nationals are in an interesting yeah. space. Yeah, they, well. I mean, they, they have such a deep roster there. that, And that's the other thing, right? Like a lot of these contenders with deep rosters are going to benefit from this because... You know, they have a quality guy that otherwise would be in a starting lineup, but because their roster is so deep, they're they're sort of relegated to being a 10th guy, a uh, ninth guy, and now they can DH. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at that team, they have um, Thames, Zimmerman, they yep. have Howie Kendrick without really having a spot. So they've got two first basemen. They've got a uh, they've got in theory Castro at second and Kibum at third and Turner at short, which means there's nowhere for Asdrubal Cabrera, Asdrubal, yeah. for Howie Kendrick. Um, I, I think both, it, both guys who hit incredibly well last year, yeah, by the way. Right. Like these it's, aren't I mean, like Howie. cooked bats or anything. Like these are great hitters right now. I mean, yeah. The, the other the other team I, that I, that jumps out at me is the the Padres, um, and, and I'm not sure 
first of all, I think the Padres might regret having traded Fran Mil Reyes uh, because he was yeah, seriously for them. <laughs> but uh, yeah. as an Indians fan, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remind them of that. I'm pretty happy nope. with that deal. Uh, no but they've got guys like Ty France didn't have, really have a role except as a backup, um, and and they've also got an outfield situation where. They were probably starting Tommy Pham, Will Myers, and Trent Grisham. But Franchi Cordero is probably their best defensive outfielder, and they had nowhere to put him. And right. so, you know, he's not going to be their DH. It doesn't make any sense for them to DH Franchi. But throw him into center field, move Grisham to a corner, and let Myers DH, maybe? Yep. Like, yep. there's some I... path like that that makes a ton of sense that um, all of a sudden increases value for somebody on that roster. It's probably yeah, Franchi sure. whose value goes up. Um, I'm trying I, I to think if there's other teams like that that are that that. I, I think that I think the Brewers are the are the other big example there with with Yelich, Kane, and um, Garcia in the outfield. You've got Braun, who was they were talking about maybe rotating in at first base, but now between Braun and Smoke, one of them can DH and the other can play first. Um, and they're not taking either bat out of the lineup unless for you know just a day off purposes. But um, I think that's yeah. another one that jumped out to me. Well, they also they have uh, they have Logan Morrison on their roster, right? Is he gonna is he gonna play at all? Like, is he does this open for him? It could, and those are the types of guys that that now, you know, he was a non roster invite. He was going to be a non roster invite. Um, those are the types of guys that maybe have a better chance at sticking, right? They, you know, he's a defensive liability. He's a first base only, and maybe he hits enough that they keep him around as a rotating first base third. Uh, DH. Um, so it's pos- it's more possible today than it would have been than I would have answered that question two and a half months ago, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's it's there's gonna be a bunch of guys like that who, um, even if they don't get to DH, even if they're just guys who show up and it's like, oh, we're gonna have way more opportunities to use a pinch hitter because we have deeper rosters, and so our and- ability to like <laughs> throw Morrison out there, let him pinch hit, and then immediately replace him with someone who can play defense, right? For our that, for shortstop or something is you, is an you, option. You had made the argument earlier about the sort of the lower, the lowering of replacement level and that sort of reducing the the value of the the high end players. And and in general, I agree with that. I think the only area I would push back is if we see thirty or thirty five man active rosters throughout this half season, we're going to see a lot more guys getting pulled after they start a game, pinch hit either pinch hit for in an offensive sense or replaced uh, because they're, you know, being replaced by a better defender. So I think you're going to see a lot more of these guys that are your second, third or fourth outfielder from an auto new sense that now just aren't getting as much playing time because they're getting pulled more frequently. And I wonder if that doesn't make guys like Mike Trout even more valuable because he's not going to come off the field. Right, he's not going to be pulled out of the lineup unless right. he's injured or whatever. He's still going to play as much as the, the Angels can possibly have him on the field. Um, whereas a lot of these other guys, like a Justin Upton, he's, he maybe he's not playing as often because he's just a defensive liability, and they have the flexibility. You have so many more guys at the back of your bench, right? I mean, a lot of substitutions don't happen because you don't want to deplete your possibilities as a manager. But if you have an extra five hitters on the bench. You can be a lot more aggressive in replacing guys for defensive reasons, pinch running, or or to get a you know a better bat in the lineup because you're down or whatever. Um, so I wonder if the very elite players don't actually get a bump up in what their value should be this year, and then everything else is just sort of muddled um, otherwise. Yeah, that could be. I think the the thing I see with with Trout and and guys like that is 
uh, more off days. And the reason I see more off days is they're not going to get the natural breaks in the schedule that they're used to getting. And so if, if, if a healthy trout in a regular season was going to play 155 games because his natural off days plus a few games here and there was all he would need, I don't think he's going to play that same percentage of games. I think in half a season, he doesn't play half as many games. He plays half as many minus five or six. And so that was where I was expecting guys like Trout to just miss a game here or there. And I think the deeper benches almost make that easier to do because you could do something like say, yeah, Trout maybe could play today, but we want to keep him rested and healthy for the full season. So we're going to give him an off day and we can guarantee him a pinch hit opportunity later because we can pinch hit him, pinch run for him if we don't like. We literally just want him to swing the bat and not run, not play the field, just get right. a cut in. We can do that because we could use four players, right? Start someone else in center field, pinch hit Trout at some point, replace him immediately with a pinch runner, and then replace that pinch runner immediately with a defensive player. Like, you could go do that without hurting yourself. And I think from an Autonew perspective, I would much rather have a player in that situation that is starting three out of every four games, but is staying in the lineup the entire time, rather than somebody that plays and starts all four games, but gets pulled in the sixth inning every game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's more it's more predictable. They both get 12 um, be, plate appearances over but four you'd games, much rather have three of them with one right, guy. Right, you, exactly. You'd much rather have the one that's getting more of those plate appearances in, in each individual yeah. start um, from a strategic perspective because you're using up a game by playing everybody. And if and if you know Trout is in the lineup, that's that's not bad news. That just means you know you don't have to put a plug into your auto new lineup that day rather than worrying about a guy who who you know is in the lineup and he gets three at bats and he's getting pulled 100% of the time after three plate appearances which you know is, is not great. I mean you you want really want your guys that you're putting out there to get four plate appearances. That's a really good call out. So is, is there anyone else from the Universal DH group that we should be talking about? The other name that I think we skipped over when we talked to the Padres was Francisco Mejia. Um I don't yeah. know what was going to happen with the Padres catcher situation, but uh, I think he's going to catch a lot less than he otherwise would have, but play a lot more than he otherwise would have, um, thanks to the universal DH. Yeah, and they can afford to carry, you know, more teams can afford to carry three catchers and, and rotate them in a lot more tactically with this, assuming there's deeper active rosters. And and that's another factor is, is how often do, I mean, is a guy like Yasmani Grandal, is he still going to play proportionally as much as he otherwise would um i don't know maybe but then all these other catchers that were already sort of in a platoon situation are they now getting platoon not just with one other catcher but with two other catchers um so you may have a similar effect to what i was talking about where maybe the very elite catchers that you know are likely to be in the lineup as often as they possibly could maybe they get a slight bump and then everybody else you just sort of have to uh, mix and match and really sort of punt the position from an auto new perspective and just kind of pick up you know, any interesting guys you can as cheaply as possible. Um, that might be the way I would go, especially with this upcoming draft that we have. Um, I may try to prioritize one of the, the top catchers. And then if I don't get them at a price I want, then I just really, really mix and match from a deep perspective. And, you know, and, and you're going to get, I think you're going to see, even with prorated games caps from a strategic standpoint, I think you're going to see a lot of on owners miss those caps a lot more than they'd have in, in years past, just because if we're right, everybody's going to be cycling through um, and it's going to be a lot harder for any 
because we still only have 40-man roster spots, right? And we did last year, but now Major League Baseball has many more active spots than they did in, in the last few seasons. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of owners missing their caps more than they otherwise would. It's an interesting point um, that it brings up for me, which is the league that you and I are getting ready to draft in is a 4 by 4 And I wonder right, if right. I shouldn't in my Roto League my, I wonder if my Roto Leagues, I shouldn't be worried. Like, I should be less worried about game caps. Because one of the things that the deeper rosters will do is result in uh, lower quality performances being on the field more often. Right. right? You're going to have worse players playing more. And it's worse pitchers, too. And so maybe this balances out between the hitters and pitchers or something, and it doesn't actually make a difference. But um, I wonder, you know, in points leagues, you got to get you got to hit your caps right. You got to get every game and every plate appearance you can out there, and that's super important. In a roto league, it's never been as important. In four by four, you've got two rate stats and two counting stats, and so there's still real value in hitting your games cap because you want to get as many home runs and runs as you can. But I wonder if it's slightly it's certainly less important than it is in points, and I wonder if it's slightly less important this year than it would be in other years because those those last. You know, those last 10 games you squeeze out at first base or shortstop or whatever are suddenly going to be much worse in terms of the rates and enough worse in terms of the rates and low enough quality even in terms of the counting stats that you're actually decreasing their value and you're better off with, let's assume a a 100-game season, you're better off getting to, you know, 90 high-quality games than 100 where the last 10 are bad. I don't think it holds for points, but I think for Roto, it might. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's not the worst way of thinking about it. Like, you're looking at um, you're looking at a situation, and I think, you know, we've had experience in our 4x4 league, Chad, where you don't – I mean, you, you do want to be competitive on the games, but you don't have to max out every game to win a Roto league. And uh, as long as you're judicious and paying attention to your rates, uh, you, can, you can be pretty successful without – without absolutely maxing everything out. And that's um, uh, that seems to be a very tall order on the points side, yeah. Like, you really do need to max out on, on in points leagues. Right, right. And I'll admit that I, you know, when we're talking about this, I'm, I'm usually thinking of it through the lens of, of points leagues and not roto leagues because, well, I'm, we're not going to get into all that. Again, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so we've been, we've been talking for about 40 minutes here, and... Uh, really covered a lot of interesting stuff about how the strategy will be affecting uh, hitting players and position players uh, for a potential short Major League Baseball season, which means we haven't even touched pitching yet, and I really do think there's a lot to cover there, too. Uh, you guys want to talk about that next time, maybe? Yeah, yeah I, think I think that, that makes sense. Call. Yeah, I mean, there's just, oh, man, I don't, I actually, I mean, you guys can imagine there's plenty to talk about on the pitching side, and <laughs> so many interesting teams to talk about there, too. Um, so, okay, so let's just you know, I think we have a little note here for a little bit of a summary for what you guys are looking for from a short season. Everything we've just covered, sort of summarized up. Let's keep it on the hitting side. Like Justin, what are you? What are your top three tips for planning a short season team right now? Given, let's just assume you've already drafted. Like, what? What are your top three hitting tips for a player out there right now? I, I mean, I think I'm prioritizing some of these guys that you otherwise would have thought wouldn't have seen as much playing time because of their position or, or defensive challenges. Right. Um, I think that's one. I think number two, I really am interested in those 40 man prospect types that 
are more likely to see a lot more playing time just because there's going to be a deeper active roster. Um, and then I think also you really just need to think of things more in a structural way and not a pure strict value way. Um, because we all are kind of in the same place here where we're speculating and we're, we're assuming certain things and we won't know until the league, the games actually kick off. Um, so just be able to build flexibility into your plans and, and then, and then just, you know, do your best, go, go with the flow because it, it, it's, it's uncharted waters, right. For everybody. So, um, I, I think it's, it's good to think about these things. It's good to kind of kick it around and think about what strategy you can implement because of these, uh, situations, this, this deeper roster potentially, and, and all the other things that they're going to have to do to get this, this season going. But, um, you know, I think that giving yourself the out of a well, I can be flexible and I can just go with the flow a little bit more, um, because it's a, it's going to be a weird season. So, yeah, I think, I think I, I agree with all that. I think a, a couple other things that I'm going to be doing and, and trying to think of some things I could do right now, like what stuff I could do literally today. Uh, one thing I think I could do right now is go comb through backup catchers who I think have value guys who maybe we're going to play 30 games in a full season, but might still play 30 games in a partial season where those 30 games are way more valuable um, because I'm just not sure what catching is going to look like this year. And I want to be pretty secure there. The other thing I think I might do is um, see if there's opportunities to buy using prospects that are further away um, on the assumption that, uh, assuming there's some kind of season, I will get value for whatever I use them to whatever I buy with them. And that prospects who are further away are, are potentially going to have a, a real hit to their development um, and just aren't going to be as useful to me this year because I'm going to need that deeper bench that we've been talking about. Um, that would then open up roster spots for me to go and comb through rosters and see who are guys that might get a little bit more playing time than I otherwise expected because of the deeper rosters, because of the universal DH. Um, maybe go after a guy like, I don't, I don't actually think Logan Morrison is, is suddenly a different value, but we talked about him as a guy who like maybe wasn't going to make a team at all, but all of a sudden like, eh, maybe there's room for him and there wasn't before. And um, try to find guys like that, although I'm not sure he's the right one. Um, I might also cut around and just see, are there other players who I think are going to benefit? We talked a little bit about Dominic Smith. Um, we've talked about the Reds outfielders, Kevin Crone. Um, we didn't talk about him, but, but Jack Peterson with the Dodgers, I think, is a guy who um, either him or A.J. Pollock, one of them is going to benefit from this. I don't know which one of them was going to get benched, but one of them is right. going to play a lot more than they otherwise would. Maybe they both will play more than they otherwise would. Um, and so I'm going to go look for guys like that right now and see, like, are any of them free agents or are any of them guys who might be able to be acquired via trade before all this locks down? Um and I'm also, by the way, I'm assuming for right now that this universal DH is here to stay. So when I start looking at guys like Smith, if I look at those Reds outfielders, if I look at the Dodgers situation, the Padres situation, like I'm assuming they're going to have a DH in 2021 as well. I don't know if that's a good assumption or not, but I just can't see this moving backwards. Right. I think I think Justin touched on the thing that I would really espouse more than anything, and and you know we're all sort of dancing around it, but. You're just going to have to be really flexible this year. You're going to have to um, take your battle plan. It's already been punched in the face. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, it, it's already time to be willing to 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 make moves you wouldn't necessarily make. To be really flexible, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people uh, 
try to sell right away or try to make really decisive moves right away, buy or sell. But I would just I would just really recommend being flexible. I think some of the strategy stuff, the specific players that Justin and Chad mentioned, um, it's really beholden to how their managers decide to manage the teams, how the front offices decide to stock those managers, like what the overall team strategy is. And, you know, a lot of teams, like, you know, we like talking about these teams as like really different, but a lot of them play chalk baseball for 90% of the season, right? Like a lot of these guys have their rosters and their lineups set for most games uh, all the way up through September. And this year is just not going to be like that. So they're going to be flexible and we're going to have to move with them. And I think there's going to be a ton of cap penalties, a ton of in-season auctions, and it's going to be a pretty interesting season once it gets going. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. I think uh, the one last note I'll make is I I would buy aggressively, but I would be really patient about selling because I just think (laughs) which is going to make for a weird trade market. But if it were me... I'm not going to sell early because I want to see what's going on here because there's a better chance than I think that my team might break out because of the shorter season and a hot start will matter more. Um, But if I think I've got a team that's going to compete and I can buy quickly, I'm buying quickly. You don't have time to wait. This is the, like the the 12th place team in every single league has a better chance to win this year than they've ever had. Right. 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 So you absolutely cannot just like punt. Uh, you, obviously there are holes you can patch and I think that'll be where the trade trade market lives until right up to the deadline um, but I think that'll be interesting to watch it'll be really fun yeah I agree and I think um, you know it's it's going to make for a fun season no matter what you know because it's going to be there's going to be a lot of chaos and, and we all just need to kind of steer into that chaos right oh, so man. <laughs> make the best of it I really hope we have baseball you guys <laughs> yeah. I really can't wait for some baseball <laughs> All right, it's well, nice to just talk baseball, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is therapeutic, right? <laughs> so um, uh, I think we're, we're at a stopping point here. Uh, well, I appreciate everybody who takes the time to listen to these episodes. Um, we are going to start producing them again. We had a little break there because of things going on, but we're back on the wagon. We're going we're gonna to keep uh, getting some content out there for you guys. So thanks for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. And thanks for playing